How many of you recognize the name Jim Valvano? Okay, some of you do. Man, I'm surprised that not more of you do. I must be getting old. Yeah, (laughs) amen. Jim Valvano was the coach of North Carolina State University's basketball team. And I think this was back in, Reg, I'm sure you would know this. Was it in the late 80s, early 90s? Oh, was that... And in a very exciting fashion, they won that championship in in the early 1980s. They were not expected to win. But Jim Volvano had developed a philosophy that he carried off of the basketball court into his personal life. He developed cancer. And the cancer was very serious. And in the midst of his dealing with all of these other issues, including the the basketball championship, um, his personal involvement with this cancer, he came to this conclusion, and he made a speech that became somewhat of a famous speech, particularly among those who are um, uh, familiar with basketball, college basketball, and so forth. And he said this, never, 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 never give up. And he lived by that motto until the day he died. And cancer did ultimately take his life. But that philosophy is a philosophy that I wish believers would lay hold of and understand that that is the Lord's intent for us. There are people who claim the name of Jesus Christ who have been given forgiveness of sins, who have been granted freely the gift of eternal life. And somewhere in their walk with the Lord, something either happens, maybe the, the decision to accept Christ was not genuine, but I'm not saying that that's always what happens. I think sometimes the decision to accept Christ as Savior is a genuine decision, but things become overwhelming in life, and instead of the focus where it belongs, they give up. And it would really be a great motto for us. Never, 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 never give up. When we come to Acts chapter 28, There are circumstances that are surrounding the Apostle Paul's life at this point that would cause many people to say, I give up, I quit. Of course, he had gone through many other trials and difficulties before that, and he didn't give up. But as we come to this passage, things are really moving now toward the climax of his, and maybe not even that, um, the termination of his ministry and his life. And it's going to take a few years before that, that happens, but... The wheels are in motion now. And when we come back to this chapter, and I'd invite you to turn once again to chapter 28, and begin to recognize the things that believers should never do. Things where believers have given up, and things that they've stopped doing for one reason or another. And I'd like us to look at four of those things that emerge in this place. The believer should never give up trusting God. We saw how difficulties that are brought into a person's life are dealt with from the divine side as we looked into the word last week. For those who might not have been with us, we have been tracing the life of the Apostle Paul in these last chapters of Acts, not so much because of him, but because of what Christ did through him. And we never want our focus to be upon a mere man. But Christ used the Apostle Paul in some incredible ways that I believe became instructive for us and still are are greatly instructive for us. When Paul was facing some of the difficulties that led up to his shipwreck and his being on this island of Malta, as we read just a few moments ago, he learned that there are certain situations in life where the ill winds blow and when they come our way, how, how does the Lord prove himself worthy of our trust? And last week we looked at four of those things. He will send friends to encourage us. And there are times when it really is a blessing and a help to have someone with flesh and blood stand next to us and be there to help encourage us. He gives us the promise of his own presence, which he will never take away. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in spite of how alone you might feel, 
in spite of how difficult life may become, the Lord's promise to those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior is He will be with us until that day He takes us home, and then in a whole different realm, He will continue to be with us. A third element that we looked at was the promise of deliverance. He tells us that the righteous may have many trials, but he goes on to say this, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And what we learned was that in some cases the Lord will deliver us out of our trials in this life. But for the believer, that's really not the bottom line. That's only a temporary solution. The ultimate deliverance comes when we enter the presence of the Lord, and then we are delivered from the impact of sin in all of its forms, the way it attacks us, and the way it inhabits us in this world. We we are delivered from the impact of sin that is the product of other people's disobedience and failures. We are set free from all of the sin implications that bring about death, that bring about disease, that bring about hardships. All of that is gone, and the Lord delivers us from them all. And then he said this, and, and sometimes I think this is really easy for us to forget, that when we are going through hard times, as we go through them successfully, drawing upon the strength that only the Lord can give, we become a blessing to others as well. I have been incredibly blessed as I've watched people who know the Savior who are going through terrible tragedies. In some cases, it's the loss of a mate or even the loss of a child, a loss of a baby, a loss that is so personal that anyone who has not gone through it just can't identify with it and can't fully understand uh, what, what that individual and, and in some cases whole families are going through. As you watch them go through those trials, trusting in God's intent and in His purpose, you, you are blessed. And I've, I've watched people and I've thought, How do you have the grace to deal with these issues? And then I'm reminded of what I should already know. The Lord promises grace sufficient for every day, for every trial that comes our way. All we have to do is embrace that grace. And it's there. So I look at that. And when I I see all these ill winds of life blowing, the Lord gives us an answer as to why we should stay faithful to Him trusting him but let me take you in a little bit different dimension because of what we read here even when the detours of life come our way we are still able to completely trust the lord in this chapter one of the things that we can understand is this paul and the 270 other people that were with him never anticipated being wrecked on the island of malta Paul understood that there would there was going to be a great storm and that this storm would bring about a, a great loss of material things. But the Lord, through an angel, had warned him, and, and not so much warned him, as encouraged him by saying, even though the ship will be lost, none of the lives will be lost. And what the Lord had promised came true. But they weren't anticipating this type of a shipwreck that brought them up on this island of Malta. And now here they are, and they're on this island. And what we find is they are greeted by the inhabitants of the island, and they are well-received. So what is taking place now is a detour. And that detour is going to last for three months. They're going to be on this island three months until they find uh, an Alexandrian ship that is able to take them to the mainland of Italy. Well, while they're there, a whole variety of different things begin to happen. And in the midst of those different events, the trust that the apostle has in God's intents and in his purpose continues to be strong. The first real issue that arises after this uh, this crash and this shipwreck is the apostle paul is putting some wood on the fire and a serpent comes out and it's obviously a poisonous serpent and it 
bites into his hand, and now here's here's the way the people of the island are viewing this. They're looking at this, and, and you can see the just the, the quizzicalness that's on their face, and then all of a sudden the conclusions begin to, to be uh, arrived at. They, they say, this man, even though the sea did not take his life, he must be a terrible criminal. And so now he's going to die at the, the fangs of this viper. Well, they're watching him, and Paul shakes the viper, and it goes into the fire, and it's apparently consumed there. That's what we can assume at this point. And now they're waiting for Paul to um, get big. He's going to swell up, and he's going to die. And they keep watching and watching, and nothing happens. Well, they have come to this conclusion if this guy has saved, uh, been rescued from the, the crash and he has been saved from the venom of the viper, well, he mustn't be a terrible criminal. He must be a god. And we begin to see the fickleness in people's minds, particularly when a miracle occurs. Now, I want us to take a moment and talk about this. Because we use this terminology very freely and very ill-advisedly often. We will talk about a miracle occurring when um, something happens that is uh, much to our liking, but is really the product of a series of events that take place. And I'm not denying that God's hand is in the series of events. But unless there is an aberration... Uh, a, a moving away from natural consequences and natural events, it isn't a miracle. If you, if you have a severe injury and it heals rapidly, you'll hear people say, oh, the Lord did a miracle. It, I am feeling so much better now. No, that is not a miracle. God may have accelerated the healing pattern, but He has put into our environment and into creation a variety of different means by which he will care for difficulties that come our way sometimes it's just the healing of our bodies a doctor will tell you this that maybe some will we don't heal people we give the body an opportunity to heal itself have you, have you ever heard of a phrase like that? That's really what medicine does. It puts us into a position where that which God has built into our bodies can take, heal of the, uh, take care of the healing process. So when things like that happen, it's not a miracle. Or um, somebody has a financial need, and then someone will anonymously give a gift to help meet that need, and then the answer is, oh, God did a miracle for me. Now, I'm just telling you this not to discourage you, but to just help you understand when you hear the word miracle, you really need to understand it in the way it's intended to be. And that is that natural events are transcended by a direct act of God that brings about a conclusion that could not naturally be arrived at. Does that make sense? That's a miracle. Here is a poisonous viper that naturally is going to kill somebody by virtue of the bite that it inflicts upon them. And nothing in a negative fashion happens to the Apostle Paul. And a miracle has taken place. But what's the problem? See, people today want miracles. We are really kind of a small crowd you want to see a big crowd? Go to a meeting where miracles are going to happen. You all know what I'm talking about. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people will attend meetings where there are going to be miracles of healing and there are going to be financial miracles if you do certain things. And, or, uh, you know what, if you, if you will just send us some money, we will pray over a ribbon or a piece of paper, whatever it might be, and God will bless you for the way you have responded in faith to giving to our ministry. And and why aren't you trusting for the miracle? And 
then people get sucked in. And how many people have you ever spoken to who have become disillusioned with Christianity because they have been introduced to it on a false level where people are claiming to have the capabilities to provide miracles? God provides miracles. He is the one that does them. But there is a problem even with those miracles, and that emerges in what we see here. People want to have miracles. They want to see God's hand moving. And I will tell you this. God's intent is not to demonstrate himself by miracles. His intent is to show himself through the written word and through the lives of those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior. That's how people see Christ. What did this miracle do? Well, what we know is this. They don't happen very often, do they? Because this is something really unusual. Apparently the people of Malta had not seen anyone bitten by this type of a viper before and survive. So this is something that's really unusual. And that would fit the definition of what makes a miracle. But the miracle is misunderstood. What, what conclusion did these people come to when it was all over? He must be a god. He is the one who, who must be something really special. And so the miracle itself is not even clearly understood. And then I would ask this, what kind of results followed it? Do you understand? We have absolutely no record of anybody on the island of Malta ever trusting Christ as Savior. You know what happened? People were astounded. Ah! <gasps> There must be something special. And so when miracles come, what does it do? There must be something really special going on here. But we don't see any spiritual results. The people were nice before the miracle occurred. They're going to continue to be nice for the three months that Paul and the others are there. And they will, Paul and his group will depart and the people will remain really nice people with no evidence of regeneration. You know what the Lord makes clear to us today? It's the message of the cross and not miracles that brings people to Christ. Don't be looking for miracles. Don't try to get involved in miracles. And I'm not saying the Lord can't bring a miracle. You, you may misunderstand what I'm saying here. Does God still have the capability to perform miracles? Absolutely. He can do whatever He chooses to do because it will always be consistent with who He is. And if he chooses to perform a miraculous event, thank him for it. But don't try to put any more into it than the realization that there is an infinite, all-powerful God who has the capability to transcend anything he has created to bring glory to himself. But the way he brings glory to himself today is through the message of the cross and through the Word of God. Do you remember when the rich man died and was found in hell and he lifted up his eyes and he sees Abraham and he says to Abraham, hey, send my, send, uh, the, the, um, Lazarus. Not the Lazarus that was raised from the dead, but the poor guy, Lazarus. Send him back to tell my brothers that you don't want to come to this place. I am being tormented in this flame. Do not come here. And what was Abraham's response? If they don't believe the law and the prophets, they won't even believe if somebody comes back from the dead. He's already given us the answer about miracles. This didn't accomplish anything of spiritual value. Nor did the Apostle Paul's capability to provide a healing for, is it Publius? I would have said Publius, but Publius sounds good. What, did he later open up a chain of food store? <laughs> okay, I guess we won't go down that road. <laughs> I'm going to use your, your pronunciation. Here is Publius, who is, uh, has a father who is ill, and Paul goes in, and the Bible says that he, there is a miracle performed, and he, this father is healed from the disease, and then a host of others from the island who had diseases came. My guess is this. There were probably some natural healings that took place. And the reason I say that is, you remember who one of Paul's traveling companions was? 
Dr. Luke, a physician who probably introduced means by which the body could heal itself. But I, I would go along with this and say, my guess is there were probably other miracles that took place, which again did not result in anything that accomplished long-term spiritual results. Only the gospel does. You can see miracles till you're blue in the face. And you can die without Christ. But you cannot be confronted with the truths of what Jesus Christ did for you and reject those without the consequence of eternal separation from a holy God. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, it was not to provide a good example. He does not ask us to go through the physical and ultimately the spiritual rejection and suffering that he went through because he offered a sacrifice one time that would pay for all of our sin because the infinite Son of God, God himself as the second person of this trinity, this triunity, comes in flesh, the incarnation, and he takes all of what we deserve to pay for as a consequence of our sin, and he pays for it himself. And then he is buried after he is fully dead, and he rises again from the dead and proves his victory over sin, over death, and over the grave, and he provides the hope of eternal life for all who by faith will trust in him as Savior, not those who are awed by a miraculous event. The content of the gospel is very clear. I proclaim to you that which I also received that is of utmost importance. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. And He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And He was seen by hundreds of people who could testify to the veracity of that testimony. That Christ rose from the dead. And if you trust in Him as your Savior, He promises freely to forgive your sin because it's been paid for in the person of Christ. And then by His grace to extend to you the benefit and the blessing of eternal life. A quality that we experience right now so that our lives are different when we come to Christ. By the way, you say, I ask Jesus into my heart, but your life is not any different today than it was before. My friend, you are not saved. You are not born again. You have not been regenerated. How dare you say that? I say it based upon the authority of God's word. When a person trusts Christ, they become a, a new creation. They have new life. You, you can't move from spiritual death into spiritual life without a change being made. Uh, you say, I'm not perfect. Yeah, and the Lord understands that. And that's why he says, even after you've been saved, you still need to get your feet clean. Because your feet are going to get dirty. You know, in the, in the day in which Christ lived, they, they would walk and their feet would get dirty and then they'd have their feet washed and Christ did that with his disciples. And it was to show the disciples that yes, your whole body, you have been cleansed by your faith in Christ. However, you still need to day, to, to, to deal with those sins that you commit daily. And so if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is not so we have a right judicial standing before a holy God, but that we have a right son relationship with a heavenly father. Does that make sense? There is judicial relationship that occurs when we trust Christ as Savior, and then there is a father-son, and that includes women, a father-son relationship on a day-to-day -day walk that we want to keep the way it should be. Uh, have you ever disappointed your father? Yeah, sure you have. Has he ever then, as a result of that,
become not your father? No, he's still your father, but he may be very disappointed. So how do you get that taken care of? You go back and you say, Dad, what I did was wrong. Um, I, I am so sorry for offending you. And he says, child of mine, I forgive that. And now we're walking in fellowship again. But you're still his son. Anyway, all of that through a message and not through a miracle. So, here is Paul on this island of Malta being sidetracked and yet, God is still working on his behalf. Can you imagine if these people in Malta had not been moved by God to be so kind and so friendly to those who were shipwrecked? What, what hope did they have? They're on this island. Their ship has wrecked. There are storms still blowing around them. The reason they had built the, the fire was because they were trying to dry out and it was raining and it was just a horrible time. They had no food. They had no shelter. They had nothing that they could hope in other than God's providential care. And they could continue to trust that as long as they lived. And nothing has changed today. You and I can trust the Lord as long as we live. Never, 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 never stop trusting the Lord. Never stop serving the Lord. When we go on in this chapter, we begin to see a whole variety of different areas in which the Apostle Paul continues his service. Look down there at verse 3. It says this. It says, But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now you might say, well, how is, how is that serving? He is still ministering. You remember there were 270-some people on this ship. He is still ministering to their needs. And then, later on, when things begin to emerge as a result of the kindness of the people on Malta, he continues to serve. Look at what he goes on to do down there at verse 8. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. You look at this, and you see them continuing to serve the Lord. Paul's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by a snake. The circumstances under which he is on this island are as unpleasant as could possibly be because he is a prisoner on his way to trial in Rome, and he continues to serve. The circumstances of his life did not cause him to stop serving. I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I have watched people faithfully serve Christ, and then somewhere along the line, they just stop. And I look at this and I'm saying, wait a minute, that is not the pattern that the Lord gives us. He, he isn't telling us that we are to stop serving him because of the circumstances that surround us. Look at this. The faithful service was in spite of the difficulties. The faithful service was designed to have a positive impact. But sometimes we forget. What happens? I think we get caught up with worldly desires. Our energies begin to be directed in the wrong way. I think sometimes people fail to continue serving because their surroundings change. I'm going to pick on the kids again, okay? You love when I do that, don't you? Except you guys don't. Are any of you seniors? None of you are seniors. Juniors? Sophomores? Okay. Are you guys willing to serve Christ now? 
Yeah. And, and are you serving the Lord in a capacity that's consistent with where you are in your age? Yeah, you're already doing things. See, I know some of you guys pretty well, and I know that you're already involved in serving, and you're already involved in ministering. Then you go to college, and what happens? Oh, I don't have time to serve the Lord. I've got to study. Let me give you a word of advice. Don't let books get in the way of your education. I meant that as a joke, and I'm getting amens. <laughs> but, that's, but that's true. And the amens are absolutely right and, and good, and I appreciate them, because just because you're away at college doesn't mean you stop serving the Lord. You continue to serve Him. By the way, I heard something very interesting this week uh, with uh, Gary Chapman. Some of you are very familiar with Gary Chapman, and he does the um, family ministries and so forth. And they raised this question to him. They said... Why is it that so many of the evangelical kids, professing believers, go away to college and, um, and then fail to continue to serve and follow the Lord? What, what's happening? Where are the churches failing? He gave what I think is a really good answer. He said, I don't believe the church is failing. He said, I believe parents are failing. Well, that puts a whole different spin on things. And then he went on to explain. He said, when kids see within a home an inconsistency of life between what parents say they believe and then what they actually do. And by the way, churches can be that way too. I hope we are not one of them. We say what we believe and we believe what we believe and we act on what we believe, not on Sundays, but every day of the week. When the kids see that in the homes, if, if you guys see inconsistency in your homes... You have got a battle ahead of you. It's why so many kids from divorced homes struggle so much. And by the way, God has the capability to see you through that. But one of the problems is when you see the conflict and all of the other things that's going on, you become disillusioned with the Lord. Let me tell you something. The Lord isn't the one that failed. Your parents are the one that's, ones that failed. And sometimes it's your pastor who's the one that failed. But the Lord doesn't fail. And he will continue to be faithful to you and he desires that you continue to serve him. Now, I'm focusing down here, but there's some young people elsewhere as well. Um, but are the kids the only ones that have that problem? No. What happens when parents relocate? I, I constantly will hear this, and some of you are going to get really upset with me about this, and this is maybe your excuse to, to stop coming. Hope it isn't. But when I hear people say, uh, my job is taking me to this place, and I ask the question, well, where are you going to be going to church? And the answer is, well, we'll, we'll find something when we get there. Your job is more important than your spiritual walk? Oh, we can walk with the Lord even if we're not in church. Can you? Can you walk with the Lord in obedience to Him and not be involved in a local congregation? No, you can't, in spite of what some idiots tell you. There may be brief periods of time where that will be the case, but you don't pattern your life based upon a job. You pattern your life based upon the purpose of God for that life. Now, you may go to a place and say, well, we're going to help get a church started there, and we've already made plans to do that. We've contacted a couple families, and, and we're going to be getting a church started. That's great. You know, thank the Lord. I can't say specifically what God's intent is, but I know this. If you don't make your involvement with a local congregation of believers a priority in your life, you are heading for destruction. It's going to come. And I've watched it happen. Relocation is no excuse to stop serving the Lord. And, and, you know, you can go on, you can talk about a whole variety of other things. Vacations. Ooh. Do you mean you should go to church when you're on vacation? Well, what do you think? Let, let me ask you a question. How many of you think you should go to church when you're on vacation? How many of you think you shouldn't go to church when you're on vacation? <laughs> I love asking questions like that. They're kind of like self-condemning. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll hang myself right here. I, I don't think you should go. Uh, let me put it this way. We don't live by a set of rules. We live by 
principles that God has established in his word. The local church is important. But I suppose if you're gone on a vacation for a week, God is probably not going to strike you with leprosy because you didn't go to church that Sunday. But I'll tell you this, it's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. And you don't have to answer to me. You know, you know what people do? They will come to me with a bulletin of the church they went to while they're on vacation. And they'll say, Pastor, we were in church last week. And I say, oh, bless you, my son. You know, and... and Listen, we know that our uh, the, the reason we're even here today is to allow the Spirit of God to be our teacher and to say, Lord, I want to do what pleases you. And on a given occasion, it may be that the Lord does not have it in his plan for you to be involved in a worship service. But I would never make that a pattern. In fact, I'd say, hey, it's probably a good idea. See if you find a good church and, and then go there. You guys all know this is where my wife and I came to church when we were on vacation. We were from Michigan, and we came down, and on some occasions we'd go over to Bible Town. Well, now it's uh, Boca Community, because that's where Debbie's mom was going, and grandmother was going there. And then I wanted to find a church that, just from my point of view, was a little bit more consistent with the positions that I hold and so forth. Not that they're not, but uh, this is now beginning to sound critical, and I don't mean it that way. That is not the case. But I wanted a church that was kind of just a smaller church where you could just kind of get. And so we started coming on vacation here. And then the Lord punished me. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Some of you picked that up right away. Um, I would tell you this. I have been blessed to have the privilege to be here. Now, what's neat, thank you, what's neat is... That was the Lord's doing. I can remember sitting back back in here. I, I was a good Baptist. When we'd come, I, I'd sit in the back. And... and the sad part was I couldn't hear anything that was going on. So I missed out on other blessings. No, I'm just kidding. But I can remember sitting back there. And it did cross my mind. I said, I wonder what it would be like to pastor this church. And I thought, ah, no, that's never going to happen. And then the Lord turned things around. And here we are. And now it's been six years. I know. Hard to believe. Very hard to believe. Um, How did I get off on that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You still stay serving the Lord even when you're on vacation. You say, well, how are you serving the Lord? Well, maybe I helped encourage somebody. Oh, I know how I served the Lord. I know how that happened. Do you want to, This is not part of my sermon, okay? Um, but in the bulletin, I was reading the back of... Uh, the bulletin was a little bit different there. And uh, Pastor Larson had done a beautiful gospel presentation that we still use in, in the back of our bulletin so that people who perhaps don't know the Savior will have an opportunity to look. And I found in the verse or in the, the, the passages as we were sitting there waiting for the service to begin, I found that a reference was incorrect. And so I wrote down on a little slip of paper or one of those little communication things that you have there in the pew in front of you, and I wrote down and I said, I believe you meant that it was such and such a passage that would be used for this. And I got a very, very nice letter back from Pastor Larson who appreciated that that typo or whatever it was had been caught and they made a correction almost immediately. Months later when I was in the process of being called as the pastor here, Bert Johnson looked at me with this quizzical look and she said, Brian Wingenroth, I, I remember that name. And she went back through the files and she found that letter and she said, you're the guy that found that wrong reference in our bulletin. <laughs> and it's like, yes. Why did I tell you that? I don't know. Anyway, Never stop serving the Lord. We, we do need to get back to what we're dealing with. Previous service is no reason to stop serving the Lord. 
I hear people make this comment. I served Christ faithfully for so many years. Now it's time for somebody else. Where in the world did you come up with that? Where does that come from? Give me a chapter and verse. The Lord gave you a spiritual gift or gifts that he intends for you to use your entire life. It may take different forms, but sometimes what I see is people, they know the Savior, but you say, well, where are you? Say, oh, well, I pray before meals and, and I try to be a good witness wherever I go. Yeah, but what are you doing to build the body of Christ? Do you remember that that's specifically why the Lord gave spiritual gifts? For the edification of the body. What are you doing to edify the body? Well, I served so faithfully for so many years. Great, the Lord's going to reward you for that. What are you doing today? What you, may I ask you all, what are you doing today? What are you doing right now to serve Christ? Would you have to say, well, you know what, I've just kind of slipped on to the back burner. Why? What's holding you back? Why aren't you serving? Well, sometimes it comes down to the twilight years of my life. Well, I'm, I'm getting older now. Do you know how old Paul was in this experience? In all likelihood, he was in his 60s by this time. You say, well, that's not old. Well, <laughs> I wake up some mornings and I think it's really old. <laughs> And you don't stop serving because you're in the twilight years. You change your service. You know what I really love about some of our older folks, and I don't want to be insulting, but we have some of our Bethany class that they are involved in first priority, and they come in and they fold um, publication stuff and they stuff envelopes and and they have the capability to become involved in that and send it out. They are faithfully involved in our prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, and you all ought to be thankful for that group. And by the way, if you're going to submit prayer requests, unless you cannot be there, why aren't you there to pray for them too? Now I'm I'm getting personal now, aren't I? But I keep seeing people listing all these prayer requests And I know some of you have to work, and some of you are involved in other ministries around the campus. I understand that. But what about those of you who want other people praying for your requests, but you're not there praying for theirs? Does that sound fair? You know, when you're in your 60s, you can say stuff like this. I'm not sure I'd have said this when I was in my 30s. Yeah, I would have. Yeah, I would have. Never, 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 never give up serving the Lord. Never, 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 never stop adoring the Lord. Paul did all these things because he loved his Savior. And he did this because the Savior's hand was upon him. And his desire was to serve Christ faithfully until he died because of who our Savior is. There is nobody else that is like Jesus Christ. Nobody. He is faithful. He is holy. Uh, don't, you don't have... Well, you can. If you want to write these down, go ahead. He is holy in his person. He is good. He is righteous. He is truth. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is... Sovereign. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That does not mean he always does everything the same. He does things very differently in different periods of time. 
but he always does what he does in the light of who he is. Holy, righteous, truthful, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, good. He is God. And Paul could look at him and say, I want to serve you my entire life and I want to adore you for my entire life. You are, by your very person, the perfect God. You are the faithful God. You are the provider. You're the one that's taking care of me. You are the enabler. Not in the negative sense that we think of today where you enable a person who's living in sin, but He enables us to live in righteousness. Why do we choose to do some of the things that we do as followers of Jesus Christ? Because He has given us the capability to say no to sin and to say yes for righteousness. Some people live by a set of rules. I know that. Some wonderful Christians live by a set of rules. I don't dance. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't go to movies. I don't play cards. And I listen to that and I say, is that what the Lord's intent was? And I think not. I don't believe that's what the Lord intended at all. I think what the Lord intended was this. Evaluate everything that comes your way and make a decision based upon what will bring honor and glory to me. And I have the right to say no to playing cards. I have the right to say no to smoking. I have the right to say no to drinking. I have the right to say no to going to movies. I have the right to say no to dancing. To be honest with you, I don't say no to all those things. I go to movies. (gasps) You're supporting an industry that is just horrible. Do you watch television? Do you ever buy any of the things that are advertised? I try to be discerning, but do I play cards? Absolutely. Some of the best times I've had is beating my wife in... What is it that we play from time to time? Rummy. Rummy. You come to my house and, and, and be led down the pathway of unrighteousness as we, we play cards. Now, some of you have chosen not to do that. Bless your heart. If that is wrong for you, then you do not do that. But I don't see the same thing. And I have the right to say no. I choose not to smoke. I have the right to say no. Not because this church says I can't smoke. Because we don't say that. If you have an addiction to to, uh, nicotine, and most people say, yeah, I would really like to, man, let us know. We'll pray for you. But you know what? If you don't beat it, eh, you're wasting your money. You smell bad, and you're going to kill yourself. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. That did not necessarily come out exactly how I meant. But do you all understand what Christ does for us? He gives us freedom to say no to that which is unrighteous, not because of rules, but because the Holy Spirit guides us to say no. And He's going to tell some people, you know what, for you it's wrong, and for you it's okay. You mean the Lord does that? Absolutely. Some of you observe days, some of you don't. Some of you eat meat that's sacrificed to idols, some of you don't. He says, just be convinced in your own heart. And don't violate your conscience. And don't be a stumbling block leading somebody else into sin. That's where we have to be careful. See, these are principles, they're not rules. And these are the principles by which we ought to live in spite of how we have in the past and in spite of what environment we were brought up in because I was brought up in a very legalistic environment. But I have not chucked my faith. I've tried to evaluate my faith and tried to bring it in line with what the Scriptures teach and not with what man's traditions tell me. And you know what? An awful lot of it comes out pretty much the same. But I want to do it for the right reasons. (gasps) Okay. The Lord encourages as well. Um, the other words that um, Luke couldn't pronounce. Look, look at what happens when you get down here. After the Apostle Paul left Malta, now they're on their way to Rome. And look at what happens. The Lord sends people to encourage. And this is why 
one of the reasons why Paul would adore the Lord. It says this, from, uh, uh, after three months we sailed an Alexandrian ship, uh, verse 11, uh, whose head was the twin brothers. Those, those were, uh, uh, the offspring of Zeus. Those two heads that were carved there in the imagination of, of idolaters. Uh, which had wintered on the island and landing at Syracuse. We stayed three days from there. We circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew and the next day we came to Putioli. Putioli. Okay. Where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. He adores the Lord because the Lord sends the encouragement he needs. And the Lord is faithful. The Lord is good. And he does everything that's right. And then he teaches one final thing. Never stop anticipating the Lord. He will continue to use you even when it looks as if everything is fading from you. And I've got to bring this to a close. He will always put before you more challenges. You will never arrive. George, you've lived a good long life. Does the Lord still put challenges before you every day? Does he give you opportunities to serve every day? Here comes a challenge that Paul is going to face because he's going to get into Rome. And we're going to talk about this in our final message in two weeks. Uh, Final message from Acts. Hopefully it's not our final message. (laughs) But it could be, and that's okay. You can't threaten me with heaven. Okay? So, anyway. He's always challenged, but the Lord is always going to give him new opportunities. And what's his new opportunity? He has got a guy chained to his wrist that can't get away. Hey, friend, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who died on the cross for my sins. And let me encourage you to trust him as your savior. It will be very interesting in heaven to find out if that guy or those guys, and it probably is a group of them, that Paul was hooked up with, how many of those came to know Christ as their savior? And then he's going to continue to give testimony. His friends are still allowed to visit him and he's treated very well by the centurion and even now by the Roman authorities there in the city of Rome. Never, 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 never give up. See you all later.